1: 30th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and like today, sometimes culture, from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism, is the only philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff and join me soon, I believe, will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin. He's running a little bit late getting to the studio today. I see that the chat room is already starting to get active. Hi, John. Already chimed in over there at Blog Talk Radio chat room. I do urge you to go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, where I post program notes for the shows. And today's show, there is an extensive list of program notes. You will see that we've got quite a uh, potpourri, I guess, of topics, you would say. We're going to talk about Bitcoin And the future of Bitcoin with a CEO of a company that makes a very user friendly app that serves as a wallet for Bitcoin. And I don't know how properly to pronounce his name. If you say, you know, there's the English name Huey, it would be Paul Puey. But we'll ask him when we get to speak with him at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So that'll be in the second hour of the show. I'm looking forward to. Speaking with him about Bitcoin, about how he got involved in it, and what he thinks the future of that currency is. So geek out with me in the second hour. In the meantime, we've got a number of stories to discuss before then. Hello, Bosch. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Sorry. I said you were running late. Were you running? Yeah. Okay. So you were running. Yes. Okay. Well, at least if you're late, you should be running late. Oh, what are you playing? What is this?
2: Watch please, just just one second, sorry.
1: We're we're doing a show.
2: I know. Uh what's it called? Uh Chris Christie was at this one radio show. Okay. And uh just check out what happened. I'm sorry. Uh Chris Christie, by the way, he has uh the acronym for his new website, the PAC website, is uh L M A
1: A O, right? <laughs>
2: Look, he was on a radio show?
1: Oh <gasps> he fell down. <laughs> he
2: was on a radio show, right? He walks up and hey, welcome, uh, you know, Governor Christie. And he goes, oh, well, so so." He, he tries to sit down and he falls on his big butt. And what? Uh, the chair
1: rolled away from under him or something. We got a
2: chair issue. It's not a chair issue. It's actually it's a Chris Christie issue. You
1: know? Well, what happened to the chair?
2: I guess it had wheels and he. Guess, oh, so he pushed it away
1: there. instead of actually sitting on it. Okay. A
2: friend of mine just posted it, David Lombardo on, on Facebook, in, uh because I made the drawing about Chris Christie. Sorry, I'm sorry man, to, to interrupt. I thought it was hilarious.
1: You know, Rob, uh, Rob Abiera in the chat room over here is sharing the news that Romney is not yeah, running. Excellent. So I think that is good news. The bad yes, the is. bad part of the news is that he may indeed. Get behind Chris Christie and support his candidacy. I mean, you figure, you know, if you're Romney and you're essentially a Democrat running for the GOP nomination, who is the next most Democratic? It's hard to really tell between Bush and Christie, but I think for some reason he prefers Christie because he's the non Bush, maybe?
2: I guess. Yeah. I guess so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The non Bush Democratic Republican candidate.
2: It's so fitting. The two most status candidates also would be candidates, are the fattest also. Certainly, uh, Bush and uh, Christie.
1: I'm going to move this microphone. I wrote a I make Democrat. It a more uh,
2: Democrat who go lost ahead. against Obama in 2012 won't be trying to get the GOP nomination again. So it's one status down. There's a number, a number to go.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You, you got to
2: purge the Republican Party of, of these status. Do really do?
1: So as I was saying, zoom over to the blog at don't let it go dot com and check out this list. And as you see, besides Bitcoin, on the agenda today are selfish selfies. How in the world did we come to be discussing selfies on our serious <laughs> serious show? Um actually there is a little bit of a, a serious topic to to be discussed here, but thanks to Rob for sharing this story with me. It's Kim Kardashian previews a bosom-bearing quote selfish book cover. And she's got a book coming out. I guess it's coming out in May. The book a is A book. Yeah, and and the entire book is of 10 years' worth of Kim Kardashian selfies. A book. A book. Okay. A book.
2: Yes. That's, that's a new definition for, for a book.
1: <laughs> I mean, there are collections of photographs.
2: I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but what's
2: she known for, Kim Kardashian?
1: <laughs>
2: no, really, what is Kim Kardashian known for? I'm saying, I mean, what's she known for? <laughs> so.
1: My question is, the thing that she is currently known for, currently. which is the... Well, I mean, you know, she's known for whatever the latest, most outrageous thing that she does is, right? latest. she she doesn't do anything
2: outrageous, though. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything. She shows her butt off.
1: You saw this, right? You don't think that's outrageous?
2: I guess, yeah. Okay,
1: so there's a cover of... I thought that was her butt. Paper magazine, called Paper. I don't know why. Winter 2014 edition has a picture of her, quite greased up, I guess. I guess. And it's a picture of... It's
2: supposed to be sexy.
1: Her big butt. But my question it's is... It's actually
2: her breasts. I thought I thought that was her butt for a second. No joke. <laughs> I thought that was her...
1: Which? Which one? This
2: is. Okay, okay. I thought, I thought that was her butt. It's the breasts. Yeah, in it's one it's
1: picture, it's a butt. In the other picture, whatever. Yeah. Similarly no, shaped.
2: Think about that. That's, so, that's so, what so she's so known for.
1: My question for you is, is that even real? I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. But...
2: But to be known for that, it's just it's unbelievable.
1: You know, she tweets out the other day on the 20th of January so she's proud to share the cover of her book which is going to be called Selfish and it's out in May um you know I, I do wish there's one thing of hers that I wish that I did have which is her eyebrows she has really nice Eyebrows. Look at those eyebrows. Those, those are those are awesome. Um, rest of it, no. I think that it, you know, having the breast that big and the rear end that big would interfere with movement, yeah. i.e., living. Um, actually, being able to go out and do something in the world would be very. Uh, difficult. Has she ever spoken? I, I'm sure she's spoken. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I never heard. Didn't of they it.
1: have a reality TV show where I she guess. must have spoken? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So she, I think she, I think she speaks. Okay. But, yeah, it is. Oh, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's so much about her appearance and, and about her looks. Um, but here, here's the question. I mean, here's a serious question. First of all, why would you entitle your book Selfish? It's a play on yeah. selfies, selfish. So, what do you think went on behind the scenes in thinking, naming that book?
2: I'm thinking maybe her mother uh, read Ayn Rand and, on a very, very superficial level, taught her daughters that selfishness is, is good. Um, her former husband, is that is that right? Uh, what's the name? The athlete, the Olympian. Oh. The guy who's turned into a woman now or something like that. I think, well, he's he's right wing, so you probably read Ayn Rand and probably influenced her and therefore, uh, that's just my thinking. They want to... She
1: was married to him?
2: I think, or they were dating or... Uh, Bruce Jenner. Really? Yeah. Okay. A- a- as far as, I mean, so I know so, I know someone, so little someone, about her back then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about these people and I don't want to, but... Someone might know in the chat room. Yeah, Bruce Jenner. Was was that her husband? Now, the mom is, is a very attractive older lady. She is. Uh, and she seems a little, you know, from, from what I gather at least, she seems a little more, you know, well put, let's just say, than her daughters. But she didn't do a good job, I guess, of raising them. They're, they're just, I don't know what they are. They're popular for what? Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know for what. Um. But yeah, I think maybe he read it, he probably and told her some stuff about it, and then she you know. So you it down. you
1: think that her adopting the title selfish yeah. is something sensitive to be Absolutely. connected to Ayn Rand?
2: Because I mean that word is a hated word outside of anyone besides Well right, Ayn right. Rand. But
1: I mean it's a book of selfies. Yes. So I figured she called it selfish just as a play on the word selfie.
2: Yeah, but I'm saying that she should have said selfie then. Why selfish? Why? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking she got that second, third hand and said, oh, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll put something out there that is considered controversial, and I don't have to answer for it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking Bruce Jenner, who is right wing, who I saw actually at this event with, 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 with Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. probably has read Iron Rent and probably has influenced to some extent and also shared that. And it's just my assumption. It, it came down maybe second, third hand because nobody used that word in a positive way except Iron Rent. Nobody.
1: Well, and then the question is: Is she using it in a positive way, or is she trying to use it more tongue-in-cheek? Because after all, it is an entire book Tongue of and selfies. So. <laughs> it's
2: bad. <laughs>
1: Very bad.
2: She's nasty, you know. Uh,
1: Waldo asks: Does she spell it "selfie-ish," like with the word "selfie" in it? No, it's just "selfish," spelled she's, appropriately. She's doing "shellfish." Mm. I mean that. Bruce Jenner was dating Chaz Bono, <laughs> oh, so safe state the Oh gosh, don't do that. <laughs> Which Chaz Bono, what,
2: what guy is he? Is he actually Bruce Jenner? Is he actually transvestite now, or just
1: not that I know okay. of? And I think, what was it? Somebody, Bruce
2: Jennifer. Somebody,
1: no, no somebody did something where. They took a photo of him and I think put makeup on it, and is he was right? really mad. I oh, okay. I, I, I remember hearing some buzz recently, but whatever. I don't pay that much attention because
2: it's just— Raquel Walt was at that photo. None, none of this is
1: that important. She was very attractive. Um, but, I mean, I could see this book title just being a play on this, and— I don't think
2: so. I mean, she's not controversial, so I think she just want to throw it out there and knows that that word is a controversial word. It's a bad word, quote-unquote. And just to get some kind of play off it, I, I think so, and without any substance, without any backup she asked about it, she probably won 't be able to say anything, but say, uh, read Iran maybe she might, she might just say that because she doesn 't know herself i 'm thinking she, she wanted to give it some edge instead of just selfie okay because selfish is a uh, you know, it's a word that's considered a hostile word. I mean, people.
1: I mean, when I when I saw this headline, I did not think there was any connection at
2: all to i Man. only because Bruce Jenner, you know, with her mother, right. secondhand possible. It's possible. I don't know. I'm definitely, I'm speculating, but it's very possible that they got it second, third hand.
1: I just I just assumed. You know, you say okay. You know, let's brainstorm a title for a whole book of selfies. And let's call it selfish. Ha ha ha! Isn't that funny? Yeah, people think selfish is bad, and you know, I want to have a little bad, a bad girl, girl. edge. Yeah. And you know, a, a, I I didn't think that there'd be any connection, but
2: you know, only because of it, only because of gender connection.
1: Here, here, here's the interesting question, right? Are selfies selfish?
2: I mean, you know what?
1: I mean, on Facebook, wise, they have Selfie Thursday or whatever it is. You're supposed to post selfies of yourself. and
2: Selfish? I mean, I, I don't know.
1: I mean, what do you think? when you If you take a selfie and you post that, do you think that that is a selfish action? And, I, I mean, don't think of it let's, that way and at let's, all. Let's talk about appropriately, because, I mean, this is the thing. This is going to be a book out there. I don't know how popular it's going to be, how much attention it's going to get. But
2: well, this, we, is, we're talking this is about
1: another it. representation of the word selfish in the culture. And for those of us who follow, you know, Rand's philosophy and we believe that selfishness is actually a virtue that it is the basis of a of a correct morality, then we want to be able to say, okay, this is or is not selfish or it's somewhat selfish but maybe not and here's why. And and just think about it, but let's let's go back to I mean, what is selfishness, right? What is I selfishness? That's
2: something about the book has no substance whatsoever. It's by her and her butt. So, again, that word, I don't think she's selfish,
1: taking selfies of her butt. First she probably thing. can.
2: I mean, you know I mean, just put it, whatever. But what I'm saying is there's no substance to her book. So she wants a combative word to be associated with it. And people say, oh, selfish. You know, interesting. That's it. And we're talking about it. Right. So there's right. that.
1: But, I mean, we're talking about it because we are concerned about how selfishness is portrayed in the culture, yeah. right? We're trying to... In effect, rehabilitate the word selfishness, get people to understand it correctly. And, you know, what is this book going to do to that? So, you know, for example, what is selfishness? And and when we talk about selfishness, we mean your rational self-interest. And what does that mean? I'm quoting here. From an entry on selfishness over at the Ayn Rand Lexicon. Again, go to my blog, don't let it go dot com. Got links to everything that we're talking about here today. But this is uh, selfishness. The values required for man's survival qua man, which means the values required for human survival, not the values produced by the desires, the emotions, the quote aspirations, the feelings, the whims, or the needs of irrational brutes who have never outgrown the primordial practice of human sacrifices have never discovered an industrial society and can conceive of no self-interest but that of grabbing the loot of the moment, end quote. Now, is, you know, Kim Kardashian playing at all on self-sacrifice here when she's releasing this book? No. I mean, no. she's
2: just showing a very, you know, non-deep, <laughs> I mean, She's not a very I mean what's she known for again, as far as I know her butt. I mean, no really, if I go on any website, there's a shot of her with her butt, the profile shot of her butt sometimes they have on the you know, entertainment websites, comic book websites. That's the only thing that is associated with her. You know what I
1: mean? <laughs> <What>? Associated. <Sorry. laughs> um it's very bad. So Maybe she's putting this book out there, and this book features her breasts, and so she is doing something to rehabilitate her image because she doesn't want to just be known for her butt. She wants to know known for her other <laughs> attributes. Joking. No, I'm joking. Okay. But, a little bit. but you know, get some balance <laughs> there, right? I mean, it, I assume that there's a whole lot of guys. Can I take a survey of the guys over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio and ask them? Ask, ask, so... <laughs> um, Whether that's all they know Kim Kardashian for? Yeah, what do you think? What do you know?
2: I mean, she. as far as I know, she's not anything. She's not an actress. She's not a model, as far as I know. She's part, I guess, of the reality show that that Jenner had. She's got
1: some sort of fashion empire going on, right? She sells maybe cologne. Does
2: she design? Does she create the cologne? Does does, does she design the clothing? I don't know anything about it. I mean, I'm glad. But I'm just saying, it's like it's she's she's taking a word that is considered a bad word, and uh, you know.
1: Well, you know what you do when you want to know more. In the culture. When you want to know more about what someone does and what they're up to, you go over to people.com, and then you do a little search. If the little search box will come up for us, here it is. Let's go to the search and let's search for Kim Kardashian. You know and, what has she ever
2: said? I mean, and
1: see what she's up. She to, married you know? an idiot.
2: You know, an idiot rapper. I guess he's a rapper of some sort.
1: And then she's divorced now, or is she? I don't
2: know. Okay, I don't you know.
1: don't know how that's doing. Wasn't she? Was she the Kardashian that had the really expensive marriage that ended?
2: Um, maybe not. No, no, no that was with the NBA player.
1: Yeah, Kim Chris Kardashian's Humphrey's. delicate accessories, her heels. She's she's known for her fashion. Um. Body suits are not just for Kim Kardashian anymore. Kanye West says, I'm a better human being because of Kim Kardashian.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Um, Bruce Jenner might get his own show. Let's get some articles.
2: No one else noticed that, but yeah, I guess he says it.
1: Uh, she's got a Super Bowl ad.
2: Okay. Upcoming Super Bowl ad for what?
1: It's a T-Mobile spot. So she does an ad for T-Mobile, so she's...
2: Uh so she's speaking in the ad uh
1: she acts i guess in in commercials uh Kim Kardashian she says Bruce Jenner is the happiest I've ever seen him,
0: okay. so
1: she defends Bruce jenner um, what else she puts family first in a group snap
2: um I'm saying, but there's nothing to her um yeah. she was born to i'm not
1: I'm not seeing any. Particular. She thing. has some.
2: She's made us some good stock, but I don't know if she pushes her butt. I don't know if she makes it bigger than it would normally be.
1: So I think she's a celebrity. She does celebrity endorsements. She must have a cologne. Every celebrity does. She's
2: famous for um, being famous. That type of modern right, fame, right? Right. Like uh, Paris Hilton, famous for being famous for no reason. Um, looks, mm, wealth. I guess for. I don't know. I guess she makes a living.
1: So so. But you know, so here's here's the thing. So first of all, is she being selfish by putting this book out in a rational self interest way? Now she's she's not okay. forcing anybody to buy it. No,
2: is, of course. But what I'm saying is, but Is what she offering her?
1: people a of value?
2: What is she saying with that book?
1: Here well, are some pictures that are really nice to look at. Okay, of me. she's put
2: it on her Twitter <laughs> on her on her Twitter feed. But she could, but she
1: wants to make money.
2: Okay, that's fine. But But yeah? what's the substance of the book? I mean, look. She can do anything she wants. Anyone can, and you can make a book of crap. But uh, would would I be interested? Would you be interested? Would anyone here? I mean, I I, I don't know what kind of audience would I would go in and get. I, I imagine it's a hardcover book, expensive book, thick pages, and thirty books. They're they're
1: they're, they're, ca- they're calling it a tome, and it's going to cost twenty dollars.
2: Okay.
1: Three hundred fifty-two pages.
2: Okay.
1: Yes. Um.
2: And the point is just to okay. show.
1: The goal is, she says, she's going to share a decade of selfies in an intimate and artistic way.
2: Okay. And will she say anything about them? I mean, I mean forward.
1: you know, there are, for instance, um, the videos that we like to see sometimes on the Internet where a uh, father, for example, takes. You know, 11 years worth of video yeah. of the daughter yeah, each week I or like something. That. And you get That's to watch. Cool. So yeah, I guess you get to see 10 years of evolution of Kim Kardashian.
2: Evolution? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I just... What I'm saying is we you, know about her name. We don't do you, know anything else. Do
1: you find her attractive? Would you she get, She's attractive you know, in
2: a superficial way, yeah.
1: So you would you enjoy looking at nice, happy pictures of a beautiful woman?
2: Well, yes, a beautiful woman, but... You know what's behind that critical beauty? I don't know. It seems like her choices are pretty lousy. I mean, the guy that that she's with—he's an idiot. He's absolute idiot. He goes out there and he insults someone who just won an award, says that someone else in the audience should have won it, and you know he interrupts her acceptance speech. That's a real nasty punk. You know, besides that, that's what I know about him. And then some comments he makes here and there about Obama and about. Uh, George Bush hates white people because Bush didn't rush to the thing. I mean, mean just, he's an idiot. And that tells you about her. If she she marries an idiot, she's probably an idiot herself.
1: So, what would you say? I mean, in the context of what she is capable of making of herself, and what she's capable of in her career. You know, she's and the idea on, that she had this clever also, idea of having a book called Selfies and Make It Selfish. There are
2: bad artists, mm-hmm. bad writers, bad filmmakers, bad actors, uh, making millions off of bad taste. Uh, they're relying on this mediocre culture that we're stuck in right now to cash in. Uh, people with no standards. And right. that's, that's what she's a product of. Her fame, I think, is based on that. People don't care about substance. They don't care about a lot of people. Too many people. And she's cashing in on this corrupt culture in a lot of ways. She's superficially attractive, sure. Beautiful. I would never think that about her. I would not. Uh, Superficially attractive, sure. No doubt about it. You know, um, her face at times, pictures I see when she's made up a little more, when she's wearing a little more clothing, clothing. she looks attractive. But uh, outside of that, I don't know anything about her. And I don't know if there is to know anything about her. And this idea that she's cashing in on, on this low standards, it's, um, I guess, you know, get it while it's good, is, is her is is her attitude. Like Obama cashed in on this corrupt culture that we have to become president. He counted on idiots voting for him. She counts on idiots getting her book. I mean, well, I would never get that book,
1: ever. So what do you think the book's going to do then for the word selfish?
2: Make it on people's, put it on people's lips. And someone ask him, what do you mean by that? Do you know what selfish means? Find out for themselves what the word I means? Look up the word? Find out that Iran has spoken about it in a substantive way?
1: So what if, she, what if, what if she gets interviewed about the book? I don't see anything here about why she chose she the title an or anything. I, I imagine she can. D-
2: does she? I mean, I
1: <laughs> I don't know that much about her. What I'm, saying is I'm inclined is, to give her more of the benefit of the doubt than you are, I think, looks. right now.
2: Like some people, are there fur coats? and they're, you know, Ferraris. Mm-hmm. She might be her looks, period. Well, I've never known her to say anything interesting.
1: So what'll happen, I'm just, you know, a what if, right? I'm just giving the woman the benefit of the doubt. What if she goes out there and she does interviews about this book, and she has an articulate answer as to why she chose the title I'll be shocked.
2: That's not a dumb answer. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then we'll have you eat your words in some way or whatever? No, No,
2: because again, I'd be shocked if she has a substantive answer. Because right now, all I know about her is nothing. She has a big butt, and she takes pictures of her trying to look sexy. And she's famous for something. And she's cashing in on this culture that likes the very facile qualities of someone. I mean, just on the face of it.
1: Now, suppose it wasn't Kim Kardashian. Very right, yeah, huh Go ahead. Sorry. What, suppose, it, suppose it wasn't Kim Kardashian and somebody else put a book of 10 years' worth of selfies out there and called it selfish.
2: Well, if it was interesting selfies, if they were had signs, if they had words on their shirt, if they had something you know, in addition to the pictures of themselves, if they had themselves looking at something, looking at, uh, I don't know, a poster of Atlas Shrugged, looking at something substantive, something real, I doubt we'll get that with her. I highly doubt now, is there a preview of the
1: book? only the cover, as far probably, probably
2: sweating with uh, very little clothing on.
1: You know, there is, there was, uh, basically, there's going to be a preview in the sense with the T-Mobile ad at the Super Bowl because she's going to be in it making fun of herself doing selfies. Oh, okay. So it's the whole thing. Um, I guess part of the book is also going to help with the T-Mobile sponsorship, and and there is this whole idea that we are carrying around these devices that enable us to take pictures of ourselves and others and our surroundings at a moment's notice although sometimes i think the camera operates a little too slowly for yeah. my taste um if you got the flash on or whatever it takes it takes a few seconds damn it <laughs> but um you know this this idea that we have this and we're able to capture so much of our lives if it was somebody else's book you'd be perhaps open to it you the, the idea of taking selfies knew. could be Properly I knew an, selfish, interesting,
2: yes. an interesting individual in the culture who has made a name for himself and you know some ideas about him or her, yeah, that could be an interesting
1: window. I have just the person, and it just so happens that I have a link over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com on these program notes for today's show. Go check it out. Go check it out. He's trying to set I've, me up here. Wait, did, did you check out my program link?
2: No. I, really? I, I did not.
1: Oh, I thought you were setting me up. No, okay, I, I didn't at all. So it just so happens that I have a link to the Twitter account of Jonathan Honig. And those of us yes. who follow Jonathan Honig I can on see Twitter, that. Absolutely. we know that Jonathan has a penchant for yeah. taking selfies, but he takes a very certain <laughs> type of selfie. It's a selfie in which... His face is only in half the picture. And yeah. I always make every time I see him, I say, okay, Jonathan, it's let's a... get your whole face in the picture. <laughs> but he'll take half his face and then the full, the, thing. the full face of whoever he's with. This is kind of his trademark yeah. selfie that he's like known fun. for. And it is a lot of fun. And, and so here he is. He takes a. And it, it's funny because I went over to the well, Twitter well, Jonathan account.
2: Jonathan always has something interesting to say. That's the point. If he were to do some of that, it'll be good. We know about him. We know his ideas. We don't know anything about her, and that's the right, no point. Right. She's nothing.
1: So, so listen to this. I mean, and here I am. I'm I'm giving Jonathan an idea for a book <laughs> right here. But you know, I went over to his Twitter. And by the way, thanks Rob for sending me this story because I wouldn't have gone on this whole tangent but for this. But um, you know, I go over to his Twitter, and I was expecting to find a selfie. You know in a more recent photograph that he's posted there because I've just noticed that time you know he's always posting these, but you have to scroll a little bit and then you'll start seeing some of them, and you know there's his co stars on Cashing in and Yaron Brook, and I'm even in selfies with him sometimes, um but you know it's Me too. and and so is Bosch, yeah, so you know a, a lot of people and it it's kind of cool to take a selfie. And just kind of document the fact that you were on a certain day hanging out with someone you presumably, you know, respect, enjoy their company, admire in some cases, right? Some
2: of the most interesting selfies out there. I mean, they are.
1: And it it wouldn't have to be, you know, that kind of selfie with other people. It could be something of an interesting place. Or actually, I I think there was one in his Twitter feed that was him, you know, enjoying a Christmas dinner. And I thought that was a cool thing. You know, you're just documenting this meal that you're enjoying with your family I don't think there were any other people in the picture. It was just this nice Laid out meal well presented also, on the a, table
2: not a focus on oneself in a sense where you know, you're the you're the The center of attention. It's like it's like just a small example. It's just something that shoots my mind when one tells, We're uh, gonna found head, like what why, why don't you make a statue of yourself It goes well something like I don't really you know, I don't want to get in my way. I don't want I don't, it's some some along those lines where it's not about it's not about work himself. It's about his work,
1: right? Through
2: right. and through. You know, I'm not trying to project myself. Right. And in a little sense, I think that's what John's doing, he's saying check out something outside of this, someone I'm with, something I'm somewhere I'm at, something yeah. I'm looking at. You know, it's not and, focused. And,
1: and in effect, he is documenting and sharing an experience that he's having. Yeah,
2: more so than right. Hey, look, look at me. Right. Um you know, look at my face.
1: So I would say definitely a certain type of selfie is selfish. And it's not that taking the selfie of you, just your appearance and uh, stuff, is, of course, is always bad. Of course but if not. you if you did a pile of it, it just seems if definitely If you do a pile expensive. of it and make a
2: book about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: But again, if that's what she's got going, look, that's what she's
2: got look, going. Look, it's never a point where she shouldn't have done that. She could do anything she wants. Yeah, she could put her butt on a book cover and sell it. Who cares?
1: So, uh, so Jonathan, that's the idea. You could do a book of of selfies <laughs> called <laughs> "Selfish." There is selfish. no copyright on book title, and certainly not on the word "selfish." Selfish. And then you could actually, you know, have a caption for each of the photos describing the event where you met the person and why that person's of value to you or something like that. How and it would selfie, be a cool book.
2: How a Selfie Pig? You know, like a selfish pig. You know, like a capitalist pig, right? Like a <laughs> selfish pig. Selfie pig.
1: I have to talk to Jonathan about this. Of course, I'm giving him unsolicited ideas. And everybody, every... Artist, every intellectual—they love just being given unsolicited ideas all the time, isn't that right, Boss? Yes, yes
2: yeah. it is. Yeah, and don't you love know, it? Sometimes I, I don't actually. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's a hug in Jonathan's last name. You know. Okay. H O G. Well, and he
1: calls himself Capitalist Pig, so you're not having to stretch that far. No.
2: That's what I'm saying. You can emphasize that on the cover.
1: So in other celebrity news, this is a very important topic, you know, celebrity news. We had Kim Kardashian, (laughs) and now you wanted to give us a brief update on Gwyneth Paltrow, Bosch. Remember? You wanted to tell me? Oh,
2: man. You know what? I have to find it. I'm sorry. One second. Kay
1: McKinnis over here in the chat room saying, um, why do you have 30 minutes on Kardashian? It's really not on Kardashian no, per se. And actually, we spent more time talking about Kardashian per se than I really wanted to, but it yes. was just because I'm trying to give her more of the benefit of the doubt, Bosh. Okay,
2: awesome. so uh, Gwyneth Paltrow steam cleans her vagina for energy.
1: I and this wanted, is I, this is not an onion story. No, I
2: just wanted not to share that. Story. that story. She goes, yeah. It's an energetic release, not just a steam douche. That balances female hormone levels. If you're in L.A., you have to do it. She wrote on her lifestyle website,
1: Goop. Okay, so this, this, is, this is why we don't normally do no. celebrity news. So are we ready to get into some actual news stories? Yeah. We want to cover some news before we go to our Bitcoin interview in the top of the second hour. And Bosch sent me this story over here. The pen and the phone, Obama's pen and phone, have the cost associated with them, and here's one of them. Some motorists are waiting months for DMV appointments in California after the immigration law goes into effect. Hollywood, California says the Department of Motor Vehicles is so overwhelmed with requests for new driver's license and vehicle registrations that it can take up to three months to get an appointment or a half-day wait in the lobby. So just go camping bring your knitting, apparently. So the DMV spokesman told KCAL 9 that there has been a crush of applications for new licenses for undocumented immigrants, a program that began earlier this month. The spokesman said the DMV is working to address the problems, but some people are having to take a day off work to handle a 15-minute transaction. Talk about, what was it that you said that the cost of?
2: $200 million.
1: The other day yeah. of shutting down New York City, yeah. not having the transportation. The
2: dictator of right. New York, uh, de, de Blasio, Blasio yeah. shut down New York and said, uh, yeah, because we have to this monster storm. And, of course, so it didn't happen.
1: Trying to compare that to the yeah. cost of making people actually take a day off work just to go to the DMV. Luckily, To
2: accommodate these uh, a lot of things, undocumented.
1: Yeah, a lot of things can be handled at the DMV over, you know, through the mail and online now. But if you actually have to go in person, apparently you will be suffering for the next several months as the government attempts to catch up with what the other arm of the government is is doing which they have a hard time doing now listen to this 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 story when i heard it this week i figured okay and you know speaking of obama doing as many nihilistic things as he can before he gets out of office obama campaign team arrives in israel why are they in israel to defeat Netanyahu in March elections. Yeah. Obama is sending his campaign team to Israel.
2: This lowlife went to the to went to Saudi Arabia to um to the funeral of sure. the scum dictator.
1: The one who imprisons his daughters yeah. and starves them today. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: That scum. He goes there to honor the scum of the earth, you know, dead king of Saudi Arabia and the one enemy that he has Outside of the, you know, outside of his political opponents in America is Benjamin Netanyahu. It's unbelievable.
1: He doesn't go to France for the to to Charlie France, Hebdo the help, rally you guys. He sends the gift wrap box of dog poop to France. This is the instead. one problem. This is the one he, problem he, he, he never goes to visit Netanyahu in Israel. Never. No. Instead, he sends his campaign team to defeat. To that. defeat because
2: he's a problem. Uh, Netanyahu is a problem in the world. You know that, right? America and Israel. They're the great problems. And he wants to get a chump in there to bend over for the critical Palestinians. That's what he wants, because he's in the way of peace, Netanyahu.
1: Exactly. Yeah, he, come exactly. on, we've got to
2: get him out of the way. Then I could prop up the Palestinians more, because I can't do that right now with him in the way.
1: So listen to this. It says, the anti-Netanyahu, this is from Fox News, the anti-Netanyahu left-wing Israeli newspaper Haritz reports a group that was once called, uh, excuse me, not once called, but it is called One Voice reportedly funded by american donors is paying for the obama campaign team that group is reportedly being led by obama's 2012 field director jeremy bird and i think i remember reading a story about jeremy bird the field director and his very astute use of social media and data mining hmm. in particular in order to help obama win
2: it's it's a, it's yeah. a tight race also in Israel.
1: Says, as Jerusalem Post columnist and putative Nesset candidate Carolyn Glick reported on her Facebook page, quote, Obama won't meet Netanyahu in Washington when he addresses the joint houses of Congress in March because Netanyahu's visits proximity to the Israeli elections. And Obama, of course, believes in protocol and propriety, which is why he won't get uh-huh. involved, end quote. Oh, yeah. And yet, Glick adds, quote, He's just sending his 2012 field campaign manager to Israel to run a campaign to defeat Netanyahu. I mean, you know, By the way, there's uh, protocol, and then there's –
2: Boehner invited protocol. him, right? And uh, Mark Levin brought it up. you got to give kudos in a very, very limited way to Boehner about this. Boehner goes out there and says, we invite him. We've not consulted with the White House.
1: Right.
2: We are wait, basically want to address something that Obama didn't address, with is the jihad, the radical Islam. He actually used those terms. I mean, radical Islam sucks, but for him to say, it's pretty right. damn good. Right, right. And he also used uh, the jihadists, uh, John Boehner. And he's inviting him despite the media. See, this is a scandal right now. According to the leftist media in America, the Obama media, it's a scandal that Netanyahu is going to speak to Congress. Yes. That's, that's a scandal? That's in what world?
1: All. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, and I mean, really, we should not be interfering with elections in foreign countries is... unless, unless the – Foreign regime is a major rights violating yeah. regime, and then you actually, you know, they don't actually have sovereignty. And if but enemies Here we of America. are. We're interfering with the sovereignty in Israel. Why? Because we want to, in effect, destroy Israel you and give the this... so called Palestinians their, their wish, right? That's what Obama yeah, wants to do. About
2: this, come back he, w- he
1: wants his legacy.
2: He went behind the Muslim Brotherhood, and they mm. lost in Egypt. He pushed for the Muslim Brotherhood, our enemies, Israel's enemies, the world's enemies, the civilized world's enemies. And now he wants to go after and take out Netanyahu. This is sick.
1: It's really sick. It's really sick. Here in the chat room, we've got a couple of people, State Defiance and John Roberts, are speculating as to whether tax dollars are, are involved. And I think that John's got it right, that for sure, indirectly, tax dollars are involved because all of these donors are no le- you know no doubt cronies of Obama yeah. and his administration. And so they are getting paid back by getting lucrative government-tied deals in other ways. Yeah. So even though it's supposedly private people putting the money up, I bet those private people are having, you know, deals with the government that are paying them back. He for also want yeah. to work
2: with Iran. We're giving, uh, I don't know, endless what, billions to Iran. With Iran, who wants to nuke Israel, nuke us. And Netanyahu is a problem. This is, to uh, so, I me, mean, he's not just, uh, you know, he's a Jew here.
1: It just it just shows you how bent on destruction Obama is, that he is going to do anything he can, even though he can't do it via legislation. I mean, here he's got private people put together an NGO called One Voice, and they go over there and try to defeat the only person who I mean you know Netanyahu is far from perfect, absolutely, but he is the main person who is keeping Israel in existence and somewhat safe yes, over there somewhat. and that he's
2: willing to fight a little
1: so the the idea of, of you are working to defeat him, I mean, you know, I used to think I could actually speak to Obama if I ever met him in person, like say something short to him, and now I just feel like all I'd want to do is spit on him, yeah. so I'd have to turn away Purse him up. This is, I mean, it's truly revolting. It's truly, truly. I mean,
2: he's a vile piece of work. He really is.
1: Well, and, you know, we were talking about before, you know, what would have to exist at all levels of government, what would have to exist in the culture generally, et cetera, in order for us to truly have free speech in the face of jihad. Having a president who is actively campaigning against our only True ally against jihad that's in the Middle East. Yeah. That's I mean, what our is, president is doing. This is the exact shocked. opposite of what our president is doing. So it's, com- I mean, it's obviously consistent with all these other things that he's doing. Not shocking for Obama, but shocking yeah. for a
2: U.S. president to, to do this.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, you
2: know, he's an
1: ally. I mean, it's, you know, just just when you think he couldn't surprise you about how terrible he truly is, there's that too. So here's another uh, little cultural snippet. In terms of you know what we need to not be doing with respect to Islam and Muslims, there's a group. It's kind of a ad hoc. It's not really a formal group, but there's a bunch of academics, journalists, and Muslim groups who are all endorsing both fascism and felony vandalism this week. This story posted at Jan- on January 28th over at Jihad Watch says after the San Francisco Chronicle quote journalist. Evan Cernofsky wrote a piece hailing the defacing of AFDI ads. And what is AFDI? Um, Americans for what? Islam. So, yeah, something about Islam, probably. Um, these ads are ads placed on the sides of buses in San Francisco, and they essentially talk about I'm why. Sorry,
2: it's, it's not for you, Islam. It's like, well, no, it's a. Uh, you mean the Pamela Geller ads? Yes. It's basically – it shows a picture of uh, al-Husseini with uh, Hitler in World War II. He mm-hmm. expedited the Holocaust. It's Jew hatred, it's in the Quran. It's, it's just the truth right. about the hardcore Jew hatred that Islam has. And so there's a some, quote in there, yeah.
1: some actual people who have absolutely no crony connections whatsoever, some real private people, put up money – to purchase ads on the sides of buses in San Francisco telling the truth about Islam just to get out there and exercise our right to free speech. And then what's been happening recently is somebody has been defacing, vandalizing these ads, right? And doing what with them? What are they doing with the ads?
2: They're covering up the actual ads with the Marvel, quote-unquote Muslim superhero, Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan from Pakistan, her family. Putting her on top and saying, "Stop the hate." They want to stop the truth. There's no argument against that. You know,
1: that. It, it, it's so funny because they are trying to stop the hate, the hate that's yes, in the Quran, yes, yes
2: they are, They're and the hate to stop that's in Islam from being known.
1: Right. They're so, trying to stop so the they, hate from being known. Right. They yeah. So so, and, yeah, so the uh, Marvel people are trying to prevent the, the hate from Marvel
2: being known. Marvel Comics Muslim writer. Okay, she's has an exclusive contract now with Marvel. She's out there tweeting this about the uh, Vandals. Some amazing person has been painting over the anti-Islam bus ads in San Francisco with Miss Marble Graffiti. Spread love. Spread love, she says. I mean, this is just, it's a, it's a hate-filled religion. And uh, they hate all, it hates all non-Muslims, but the special hatred for Jews, which uh, Pat Condell tapped into in his latest video, by the way. Check it out. It's great. Pat Condell. Yeah. And, uh... They cover up the truth. They're not covering up the hate. They're covering up the truth of the hardcore Islamic hatred for Jews on that ad with a tool that is being used to pretend Islam's okay, which is Marvel's Muslim superhero. To me, it's just, I, I will never, ever get used to that. That Marvel Comics, the monster that it is, is promoting Islam. And their character that they own is being used by some vandal. And they're not saying a people part to say, wait, 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 you can't do that with our character. Right. Because they're like, well, it's protecting Islam, so therefore it's good. Because that's why we created her, to protect Islam. And so they're using it to, to protect Islam from the truth? Okay, that's fine.
1: It's all, it's all in the spirit of the creation. So property rights be damned. The right to free speech be damned. Because if you are going to speak, to speak requires the expenditure of money, the using of property, and this is the way that Geller and, and her group had decided, and I'm, I'm, you know, personally, I'm not a huge fan no, of Geller, not. but I, I really do like this campaign Again, that she did. she's
2: good um, in a very, um, you know, small-focused way against your heart, but right. she's no, she has no respect for intellectual property whatsoever.
1: Certainly she has the right to purchase ads, and the those ads yeah, should not be defaced in, in, in case, and if if on. those ads are defaced, anybody who purports to be an academic, a journalist, or any rights respecting human being should denounce the defacing of these ads i mean it's 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 just shameful, so we are not seeing a you know all the things we need to see in our culture that are going to support free speech now here's another thing that will and to use this Bosch term, uh, something that will make your blood boil. You've got you've got something can else there? Can
2: I just j- j- just mention along lines of Islam? Sure. Um the rapper comedian um Ruka Ali sent out a video against the uh I guess reaction about the Charlie well in defense of the cartoons. So the Muhammad cartoons, Charlie Hebdo and uh, some of my cartoons show up in the video. So so check it out. It was fun. It was fun.
1: Yeah, fun little fun yeah. little video. It's right. outrageous. It is <laughs> I mean
2: but it's fun. His, his, it is his in stuff your is face,
1: truly outrageous. Yeah, definitely. So here's another story from Jihad Watch. Headline is today is Hijab Day at NP3 High School, which is a public charter school in Sacramento, California. This was another story from January 28th. It says a Jihad Watch reader in the Sacramento area has sent me this flyer showing that today is NP three hijab day at NP three high school. And NP three stands for Natoma's Pacific Pathways Prep. And the school is in the Natomas Unified School District in Sacramento. It all started with a student who's an intern for care and she decided, I guess, this student that she wanted to have her senior class project be a hijab day. And If you don't know much about the status of charter schools in California, I mean, you know, first of all, I've been learning a lot about the public, so-called public school system, the government schools in California, and 40% of the state's tax dollars, the budget, 40% of the budget goes to government schools, and that includes charter schools. Charter schools in the state of California are funded by tax dollars. There are provisions in the California Constitution that prohibit the use of tax money to promote, promote any yeah. religion.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, maybe what the school is going to say is, oh, well, this was initiated by one of our students. We're not promoting it. But they were We're just on board. letting her.
2: They got on board and officially announced it. Right. It's not just the students. Well,
1: and if if, you, on board if you read the actual flyer, people
2: try to lie on the Twitter. Oh okay. no no no! It just started. Yeah, it was it was begun by a Muslim student, right? And then the the school backed her up completely. Yeah. Which they
1: and and look, they're calling it NP3 Hijab yes. Day. It's
2: not right. It's individual so it's, girls' it's, Hijab it's, Day. It's
1: the school's day. Now she may have. And, and it seems that she did initiate it. it. Says the hijab is the head covering worn by Muslim women as a symbol of modesty and their devotion to God. Girls. Come to the library Wednesday morning and MSA members will assist you in putting your hijab on. You can bring any type of rectangular or square scarf that is bought at any store. You know They want to be very inclusive. If you do not have any scarves, they will be provided for you to borrow like it, for the day. It's like putting
2: chains on your head. that really is what it is. It's a symbol of submission.
1: So I do think that there's an issue here with... The endorsement, the ratification Absolutely. of the school, promoting religion um I bet as a matter of fact that there is no nuns habit day or you know right. um any kind of comparable day you know they the, don't have hijab uh, day uh, in, how about in, how, about, in the how world. about a yarmulke day you know for the men to come and wear it i I just don't think that they're no. having these, no. and even if they were, I think it would be wrong for these schools to have a day in which the whole idea is that they're supposed to immerse themselves in religious experience. I don't think, you know, I mean, just for me, but, you know, again, this is a whole issue of government schools. This is one of the huge problems with government schools, that your tax dollars are going towards promoting things like this. And you could say, okay, well, it's neutral about religion if they have this for them, and then anybody else who wants to bring up, you know, a Catholic nun habit day or something that they can have that too – Um, It just so happens that they're not, and then it also just so happens that this is one way in which all around the country, I'm sure, this is just one small example of students who are becoming wise to how to infiltrate the culture are making efforts to do so, and they're getting away with it using the you know, captive audience that you have in the public school system. Absolutely. And, you know, it's right. The, in, in secondary schools in California, supposedly the students have a right to free speech. But in the actual government-supported schools, they are supposed to be neutral about religion. They should not be promoting any religion or religion as such. And and this is exactly what they're doing here. Um, you know, the whole idea is they they want to have these girls have this experience of wearing this and have them associate positive feelings also, also, with yeah, you know, used to belonging, peer group pressure, all the get, things that get you used, get in high school. Get
2: used to the myth that Islam is going to take over. I mean, get used to the idea that you will be wearing that really one day. That's the thinking here. It's like when they build these mega mosques in areas that are not many Muslims. They're like, oh, there will be. That's the thinking. Oh, yeah. They're here to defeat us. Whether they ever will, that's not the point. They are here to do that, and this is part of that. Miss Marvel, you know, and, and, and Marvel Comics is part of that, to try to mainstream Islam. Islam is not what it is. It is good, and you want to be part of it. And uh, we're going ha- to have a vandal use our character that we own, slap it on the bus, and we're not going to do anything about it legally? Shouldn't they be trying to sue that guy? You say, you can't use our character for that. No, because they're like, well... Hey, I mean, it's in the name of Islam, so it's all good.
1: Would Would you be able to go over to Jihad Watch and do a follow up and see whether yes. <clears throat> there's uh, an update about what happened during that day? Did some kids object? If so, what happened to yeah. them? Were they punished? If they decided they weren't going to wear it, right. they were just ostracized, made fun of. By the way, know? one
2: one little announcement to if people, those who are interested in my. In my graphic novel, comic book, uh, The Infidel featuring Pigman, I released uh, the cover to issue three. So check it out on my blog, Fawson.blogspot. And
1: did you show your breasts in the cover? Yes. Yeah. I did. Oh. Damn it.
2: <laughs> Actually, yeah. The Pigman's out there. Yeah. They're pretty big. His. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
1: Oh, very bad. Yeah, but see if...
2: It's, he, it's a semi-selfie because uh, the character is based on me somewhat, at least uh, yeah. the cartoonist character.
1: See if you can find... Yeah. Um, another. Now, one more story where, you know, and again, it's along the lines of our government and our culture doing exactly the opposite that they should be doing if we're going to have an environment where we can speak freely in the face of an inimical ideology, which is which is Islam. Um, this is Eric Holder. Oh, actually, this is interesting. I just searched for story and I got the wrong link. Maybe I put the wrong link up on my blog at don'tletitgo.com. The first one that came up as in the error message is the right one. It's to better protect Muslims, AG Attorney General Holder. To better Holder, protect Muslims? Yeah, to better protect well, how about, Muslims. How about non-Muslims, from he, Muslims? He's going to ban religious profiling. And as I understand <sighs> it, the idea is that they cannot just go and investigate mosques unless they have they already have evidence that there's some criminal activity going on. Within
2: the mosque. Well, there is because, in a sense, where they're promoting an ideology that's at war with us. Every single Muslim's Quran says, to "Kill the infidels where we find them," right. and the uh, Imam has read it and reread it and reread it. Whether his flock has or not, he has. He knows he's up to no good. He knows he's promoting an ideology that is at war with us, and therefore, you know, in a lot of ways, they should start being shut down and kicked out of the country because a lot of these are funded by Saudi Arabia. They're here to take over. And look, I don't want to be an alarmist, you know. Like all Muslims, I'm not even saying that the mosques that the Saudis that the Saudis fund are of no good. They are bases for the enemy. That's right. what they are. For, that's what they're for. Every time a Muslim commits an act in America against us, he's part of a mosque that is of no good.
1: This is this is what Breitbart says. They say without pre-existing admissible evidence that ongoing criminal activity is occurring federal agents will no longer be permitted to conduct any undercover surveillance in any clearly identified Islamic institution. This is suicide,
2: not for Eric Holder or Barack Obama, for us.
1: Yep, yep. says, if enacted, this policy would represent the starkest reversal yet to the bipartisan post-9-11 changes that permitted... Law enforcement agencies like the FBI greater ability to monitor monitor way. suspected Islamist outfits, including mosques.
2: By the way, when did that scumbag leave? Allegedly, Holder. I know they're waiting for this new AG, but this guy what last year? A long time ago. This pig is still making these these things before he goes out. It's like Obama the last few years. Yep. Get as kneeless as you can.
1: Yep, yep. Um, this is Steve Emerson. He says, "Quote: There are tens of thousands of others like." the Islamic State operatives, in the one in Oklahoma recently. He says there are tens of thousands of others like him lurking in the United States who haven't done this, but are jihadists just waiting to do it, he says.
2: And now we can't detect them.
1: I mean, that's the idea. They are putting, you know, and, and you know, again, we've, to protect we, Muslims. We, we, we've talked As so said, many... To
2: protect Muslims. Right. Because Muslims are being attacked.
1: And, you know, again, in a time of war, I would say if you're going to have Muslims live here in the country, and I'm fine with having Muslims live, they need to understand that there is going to be profiling <laughs> and that the profiling has an objective basis sorry, in the threat that is. Freebies
2: mentions here, yet they have to, uh, no hesitation spying on us anytime, anywhere. That's Think right. about that. The, he's saying Muslims are the only ones who will not be spied on, is what Eric Holder is saying. Yep. Everyone else will be, but Muslims will not be. Those who are at war with us. Will not be. This is evil.
1: Over here in the chat room, they are actually citing Quranic verses that people yep. should go look at if Absolutely. they want to know where hate lies. Uh, you know, th- this idea that they're stopping the hate like, by uh, by lying, vandalizing ads that show you where in Islam and the Quran the hate is. Yep. No, they're they're again they're stopping knowledge about. Hate and, and they're shopping.
2: being celebrated even by pop websites like thenerdist.com, which deals with movies and comics. They go out there like, "You go, girl," more or less, to celebrate, to cheerlead this on. Right,
1: right, exactly, exactly. If you
2: flip that, if you flip that somehow, it's you know, it you know, let's say if it was a pro-jihad ad on a bus in some in some way, someone went. And, you know, if I put Pigman on there, what? I'd be sued. Yeah. I'd be rounded up.
1: No, but because it's something that's culturally approved and, no. and mandated. So we, you know, we've got our government. We have the older, wiser, you know, becoming wiser children in the government school systems trying to indoctrinate their fellow no, no classmates. No follow up, by the way. No follow up. I didn't see. It. Okay, I, I would love to hear yeah. a follow up. It's, it's funny because I posted this on Twitter. And again, if you want to see some stories that I'm thinking about during the week, follow me, Amy Peekoff. On Twitter, and and you know, also thanks to all the people who send me awesome stories by Twitter, and then also thanks, at, at, at the Don't Let It Go On herd page on on Facebook, I really appreciate that. But I posted on Twitter, um, the you know the the story about this, and someone says, "Oh well, Jihad Watch is you know uh-huh. exaggerating because yeah. of the link to care and the listen. All I care about is." I mean, let, let's give it the most kind of, you know, whitewashed interpretation possible. A student, a Muslim student, decided that she wanted to have her senior project be Hijab Day. And the school allowed it. The school, which is funded by our tax dollars, put it in Vermonter. It says on the flyer, NP3 Hijab Day. So it's an it's official day yes. at the they school. They made it official. Right. So, you know, do you want your tax dollars going towards promoting this religion?
2: That principal should pay a price for this. He shouldn't do this. He can't do this. Yeah. And again, the whole context there: we're at war. We are at war. By the way, one thing also: those who praised uh, Michelle Obama, "You go, girl!" about the her not wearing headscarf. She's worn headscarves before right? in Muslim countries. Right? Please, she sucks.
1: No, we are we're coming. By
2: accident, she did that. Who
1: knows? We are we are coming up quickly on the top of the hour, and we are going to go ahead and get our our guest. Excuse me. I'm going to use the magic of Blog Talk Radio to dial our guest. So what I need to do is find you a suitable piece of music to entertain you in the meantime, and I will be right back. topic and, and hope that he does call in to join us soon. I left him the phone number and I'm about to write an email. Again, we're expecting to speak to Paul Puey. I don't, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Huey? Yeah, it, It's spelled the same. Yeah, I, but probably. I'm not sure. Paul Huey. He is the CEO of AirBits and we did have this time prearranged, but I'm wondering if there's maybe been a time zone confusion. Do we have the call? Uh, oh maybe. we do, we have okay. the call. Okay, maybe we've got him right here. We're gonna go ahead and see. Hello, is this Paul?
0: Yeah, this is Paul. How are you guys doing? Oh Our great. Okay. Right. okay,
1: thanks. Thanks for calling me back. I'm gonna turn off my little magic music that I was using when you're, I when you're I dialed. Way on the you. Air, by the way. Yeah, we are we are on the air. I was gonna, you know, dial you with the magic of blog talk in a little screen room, but now now I've got you live on the air. Tell me Paul, how do you pronounce your last name?
0: It's pronounced Poi, phonetically like P W A Y. Poi.
1: Poi. Poi. Yeah, okay. Poi. Sorry. I'm sorry to botch it. That's not very nice and host like of me. But I've only read about you online and I hadn't heard your name pronounced. So thank you so no, much for no taking worries. the time to, to join us today. It's not often that I get CEOs of awesome cool tech startups to, to come and join <laughs> us here. Uh, so, so tell everybody tell everybody a little bit about Airbits and, and how did you get involved?
0: Um, so, Airbus is a what I call a 100% focused on Bitcoin company, and I got involved by just being a Bitcoin user. I was, um, you know, first introduced to Bitcoin in 2013. No, I'm definitely not super early adopter, and mm-hmm. trying to use Bitcoin from a very early point of view. It's like it was like really like internet in the early days, and I saw the user interfaces, the user experiences, uh, the process is so unfamiliar. The creation of accounts and wallets and backing up and encrypting was just incredibly convoluted. And I and I saw a vision. I'm like, wow, this doesn't have to be that complex. You can actually create a data model and experience that makes it feel familiar to users. Um, but I also come, come from this strong, strong background in keeping Bitcoin's you know, financial autonomy and privacy that you know, Satoshi Nakamoto intended when he first developed the protocol. And right. so we actually are trying to strike this incredibly challenging balance, which I think we've done a great job of doing, of... Providing real Bitcoin functionality, meaning you own your money, you own your privacy at the same time making it feel familiar, like you're using mobile banking and you what we call a hosted wallet and providing a lot of the features and safety measures in the process of creating uh, an account in a wallet that those other solutions provide uh, so this balance is definitely a challenge, and no one's doing it, especially not with the level of decentralization that we are we're doing it with as well where right you know, right i mean that thats my PayPal, impression
1: is. Other, other people are trying to do it, but in terms of the level of privacy and decentralization that you offer, they don't have that. So Coinbase, for example, is is trying to make it user-friendly, but there's a lot more regulation controls and, and less privacy there, right?
0: Yeah, not only less privacy. You basically have zero privacy with a hosted wallet. You have uh, zero autonomy, meaning you don't actually own your money. But then a really, really important thing, which a lot of people fail to see, um, two important things is you also don't have unbiased access to the global Bitcoin economy, meaning that they can and they will be forced to restrict access for you to be able to send and receive money from different sources. So that is an ethos that that directly breaks what Bitcoin was built for so that we can actually access a global economy, bring Bitcoin and a a digital economy to the unbanked uh, people in other countries that have very limited access to the banking infrastructure and financial infrastructure so I can buy something from someone anywhere in the world because I choose to do that versus being limited by uh, whatever reasons, political reasons, you know, uh, financially economic reasons, it, it, it doesn't matter. I should be able to actually send my money to where I want to. And that's what true Bitcoin enables because it is not just frictionless, but it is unbiased. That's probably the best way right. to describe it. Bitcoin now, doesn't care.
1: Right. Yeah. But Bitcoin doesn't care where it's going. Exactly. Right. Um I was just going to say, you know, me me personally, I would say it's probably not moral to engage in transactions with, for example, somebody who's supporting a war effort against your country, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. th- that would be the extreme case. But I know also that right now there are way more restrictions on where we can send our money and purchase things than issues like that, right? You know, so right now we have such a heavily regulated economy and so many of the regulations are themselves unjust and immoral. That I think this is a natural, you know, reaction to try to do this. I mean, people right now are trying to protect their privacy via encryption because the law is not doing it as well. And I think these are, you know, valid kind of, you know, uh, endeavors to to basically retake what government is trying to take from us.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think that's why Bitcoin came and surfaced in the first place. Is that the need was seen that there is, on many different levels, issues with our financial system, whether it be um, centralized banking and centralized access and creation of our funds, to uh, fractional reserve, which was, oh, my God, one of the biggest mistakes that we've ever made in, in our economy, uh, right. to access to the funds. You know, who has access to this global economy? It's Well, it's not very global. So all of those aspects are definite triggers into – why we have Bitcoin in the first place. And then the danger is, well, now that we have Bitcoin, how are we going to use it? Now, we could use it as basically just another currency, just another currency that sits in a bank and it gets transferred from bank to bank, and it just happens to be called Bitcoin. And if we do that, then we've lost a significant significant part of the advantages of Bitcoin. And then you start to have to ask yourself the question of, well, once we put the banking infrastructure on top of Bitcoin, do we really even know that there's Bitcoin underneath the covers? Because right you're entrusting someone to that. You have to entrust that there really is the amount of Bitcoin in there that you believe you've put in, in the first place. Because, you know, when it's smoke and mirrors, you don't know whether that's getting loaned out, and you've just turned that system to another fractional reserve system, because
1: you you really can't prove. You are you're raising a huge issue, right, because a lot of people, they look at Bitcoin and they say, well, there's not really any there there because there's not gold behind it or whatever. And you're in effect saying that there actually is something there and any effort to sort of Bitcoin in the context of the regular banking system is actually taking away the thing that is behind Bitcoin. So in terms of exactly. you know, what, would, what, would you, what would you say is the basis Of Bitcoin, How would you describe it to the layman? You know, does it matter that there's not gold behind this stuff?
0: What I would say the layman is that the beauty of it is that there's nothing behind it. That's actually what you want. Because anytime you have something behind uh, an asset, a currency or something of value, as soon as you back it by somebody, then you're effectively trusting a third party to return that thing that you are using, such as Bitcoin, with whatever it is that's backing it, such as gold. So if Bitcoin or backed mm. by gold, the only way to back something is to have a third party, an entrusted third party to actually exchange the value between the two. There's no other There's no other way to do it. It's the same as like a gift card. What's backing a gift card? Well, it is a trust in that merchant that they will back the, that $20 value Amazon gift card with actual right. value in their store. And the beauty of Bitcoin is that it's not backed. And I had trouble getting over this concept myself. But when you when it finally clicks, you realize... Oh, my God, that is the beauty. It is simply backed by people agreeing to use it. And that is not a central entity. That is a distributed, decentralized entity. It's all of us agreeing to use it. And the more people right. agree to use it, the more value it has. Um, and so, no, I don't ever want Bitcoin to be backed by anything. I really don't. Because then you've defeated the purpose in the first place. And there's so many projects that are trying to do this with cryptocurrency. they co- launching USB-backed crypto or gold-backed crypto and blah, blah, blah. Back. Well, now, you've introduced the same problem we had before, which is well, now we're entrusting some kind of a bank to back this crypto with something else. Um, and I don't think that's the right way going forward. So it might so, be, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, yeah, I, I so, think that Bitcoin is designed in a good way as it is.
1: Right, right. Now, um, you know, the idea of backing Bitcoin with US dollars is, of course, ridiculous because. A, I mean, one of the whole values of Bitcoin is to get away from a Fed that manipulates currencies by quantitative expansions and who knows what else. And moreover, there's nothing behind the dollar right now except for that the federal government makes it so that we all have to agree to to use it. So it's not even that we're all volunteering to to use this. Um, But you're saying that even if you could back Bitcoin with gold, you think that would be a bad idea?
0: It'd be a horribly bad idea because that gold has to sit somewhere,
1: right? And
0: I would then have to know that there's actually that amount of gold backing the Bitcoin, and I would have t- to trust that that person, you know, hasn't just hijacked Bitcoin. Then I would have to trust that there aren't larger entities that could raid and basically shove a forklift through a wall and pick up a bunch of gold and say, "Sorry, you're not privy to that gold because you effectively are," you know. Enabling some type of illicit activity, and this has already happened before. We had eGold, you know, you know what was it, decades ago, and that was basically crypto backed by gold. And what happened? It was just shut down. Simple as that. So, you know, why try? Why not learn from our from the past? We've had this already. Why? Why do? Should we try to implement it again? We know that that can and very likely will fail. And it's the true decentralization of the currency that's making it succeed
1: you know it, it it could be though right that the fact that our government has you know gone away from gold and in fact you know made it illegal to have a gold backed currency right now that that is part of the problem right so that if we had a proper government and we were allowed to do you know private currencies bitcoin or anything else backed by gold that we could enforce The agreement. So yeah, you know, the bank that's holding the gold, the unbiased third party or whatever that's holding the gold, they can be held to account by a a proper government. So it it, it might be worth exploring more in that way. But but I I completely understand your idea that the, the attraction of Bitcoin is what they call distributed trust, where you don't have to trust any one person who has the power to make your Bitcoin worthless in effect, right?
0: Exactly exactly, and that level of of I wouldn't want to call it antitrust we don't we use that term in a different way, no, but yeah, yeah. the the lack of the lack of need for trust or trustless uh system extends beyond just trusting someone with our money, and this is where like Airbus tries to take it to another level so there's there's the protocol which creates a currency that is you know distributed in trust, then there's how you actually use it, so you know do we put our bitcoin with a bank or do we hold it ourselves, and then if we do hold it ourselves, are we utilizing it in such a way where access to our money is also trustless. There are some wallets where you own your private key, but your ability to send and receive still has to go through a trusted source which may or may not compromise your privacy. Like if I am am sending and receiving my Bitcoin entirely through a single party, then my reliability and ability to send and receive is heavily dependent on that single party. And what I tell Mm -hmm. people to look for is look for implementations that don't require that where you can spend, you can go buy your cup of coffee, you can go buy your computer, you can buy whatever you want, and not have to go through a single source to do that send. Because if you are going through a single source, even if you own your private key, they can still restrict that capability whether they need to or not. It could, uh, could be something as simple as a reliability issue, like their servers go down to the company gets compromised and then you know, shuts down their servers, to them being told that, okay, well, these sends and receives to these addresses aren't allowed, and so therefore don't allow it you know, with those wallets. Even though they don't have access to your funds, they can still restrict to the network and can be compromised in that way. And many people don't see that. And there's many wallets that are are used in the ecosystem that are are the champions of of liberty and freedom and decentralization. But people don't realize that underneath the covers, the way they're architected, their data model actually does not champion that. And it funnels, even though you have access to your own keys and they can't send your money, it still funnels the access to the network through them. And that's something that we strongly try to avoid in, in our own company. And so our goal is we want to make the most fault-tolerant platform that we can such that even if AirBits is compromised, you can still send your money.
1: Right. Now, uh, you know, I got a little tutorial on this, and I got it from Michelle Ray. You know, she's Galt's girl on Twitter. So yeah. that's how I, I first saw your app, and it was it looked very user-friendly, very cool. And I think she said that, the bitcoin is actually in your phone or at least there's a crucial piece of data about the bitcoin that's in your phone such that in effect the bitcoin is in your phone um mm-hmm. so what happens if your phone is lost or stolen is the bitcoin gone just like you lost your wallet no or?
0: we make it so what happens just like mobile then? banking this is this is the genius of of herbitsen that what we do is we create what are called private keys. Now, private keys are basically, they're like your very, very long pin code that you cannot remember because human brains can't remember the numbers this big. But they're a a really long pin code that uniquely gives you access to your Bitcoin. So people, when they say your Bitcoin is on your phone, what they really mean is the private key is on your phone. And that private key on AirBits is automatically encrypted. And it's not encrypted with anything that we create at AirBits. It's encrypted by your credentials, your login and password. So that way, nobody else can decrypt it. And then after it's encrypted, it's saved on your phone, and then it's automatically backed up onto distributed peer-to-peer servers. So it mirrors mobile banking. And so to give you an idea of what the process looks like, when you say create account, it's not really mm-hmm. creating an account so much as it's creating your private keys and your metadata and a bunch of stuff on your phone, and then it's backing it up onto our servers. And when you go to another phone, whether you have two devices or you lost one phone and then you went and bought another, when you go to a second phone and you punch in your login and password, what it's effectively doing is doing is it's finding your data on the peer-to-peer cloud servers. It's downloading it to your phone. It's decrypting it, and then boom, there's your account. And it feels so like you're logging in. it's, into it's all banking. still
1: there. It's all still there as long as you have your password, for example.
0: As long as you have your login and password, it's still there. And the beauty of it is, even if those servers in the cloud go down, the data is on your phone, and it's fully right. functional on your phone. You can still send and receive. And you know, really the, the, the case where you could lose your your information is if all of our servers go down and go down permanently because we're compromised and your phone goes down at the same time. Right. It's right. like you know, a multiple redundancy that you've got built, we've got built into the ecosystem, um, both from our end and from the user's end. And so given that, we feel like we have a very, very fault-tolerant system because, you know, you all re- you know you've got multiple backups, you know, yourself being one of them. Um, that makes the system very fault tolerant and, and at the same time user friendly because it feels like you're logging into a bank. And not um, people don't realize this is that you can even log into your account if you are in airplane mode um,
2: yeah.
0: because there's oh, nothing amazing. for it to do. You can go into airplane mode so long as you've logged into that device at least once before. You can go in and you can't do a PIN login if you use our app. It allows you to, to log in via PIN. That requires mm-hmm. a server for security reasons, but you can say you know switch account and just use your login and password. And all it's going to do is it's actually going to go into your phone, grab you know grab the encrypted data, and decrypt it locally on your phone, and then you're logged in. And that's it. Wow. And you can navigate then, your transactions. And then you can be at
1: a coffee shop or whatever and buy some coffee and everything, and you're in airplane mode.
0: The, the sending of a transaction at this point does need the Internet, but it doesn't need Okay. okay. Internet. Okay. Right. So that's kind of the differentiating factor. It doesn't need the Internet for it to access the nodes on the Bitcoin network. Now, that actually could change in the future. And this is another really important aspect of utilizing true decentralized wallets such as AirBits is that if we want to push Bitcoin to the masses, we want to push it to the unbanked that have very poor Internet connectivity, we have to allow people to transact with very poor and limited Internet. So right. one thing that you can do with a wallet like Airbus is, so long as you have recently been in the internet in the past day or so, it's collected the information about the transaction and the money that you own. Now you can actually send money to someone directly to their phone by transmitting not to the internet, but taking a transaction that's signed. And this is you know going into some of the the, the deep technology. But when you send money, what you're doing is you're basically writing a check, a digital check, and says okay. say okay. Here's my bank account number and I'm going to write it to this person and I'm going to put my signature on it. Mm-hmm. And you can think of your private key as your wrist chopped off. Right? You, you chopped off your wrist and that wrist is the only thing that can sign this check. right? And you've encrypted your wrist and stuck it into your phone and backed it up. That's kind of the okay. technology that I can think of. But when you want to send money to someone, normally most wallets, what they do is they create a check, they sign it, and then they send the check up to the internet. And right. the recipient looks for that check. Uh, out on the network and it says, hmm, have I received the check? Have I received- oh, hey, look, someone deposited money into my account. I received money. But right. without Internet connectivity on the sender side, the person that's trying to spend money, you can take- basically create the check on your phone, sign it, and then hand it over to the merchant or the person who's receiving, and then they can send it out to the network and check whether or not you know, the money is actually there in your account.
1: And right, so which is one how device checks, used to be, checks used to be that way anyway, you know. Um exactly. and, and presumably, you know, the sender's phone would keep track of how much you've sent out in checks and whatever your balance is in your account, right?
0: Right, <clears throat> right. And occasionally, though, the sender's phone would connect to the Internet and, and kind of stay in sync, you know, because someone might have sent okay. you money. and If you're not on the Internet, you don't know that you've received money, and then you can't spend it. So it's one of these where you need just Internet connectivity. Maybe when you're at home, you get connected. You see your, your phone syncs up with your your balance and understands how much money you have, and then even you can go and spend throughout the day without internet connectivity, as long as the merchant has internet connectivity. And I've run into this issue using Bitcoin, even in developed countries like Australia, New Zealand, where I had poor internet connectivity at the merchant because it was underground in the basement of a right. you know, high rise, and it was you know this you know, food court, and I couldn't send. And like my gosh this is a problem that we have today but it's absolutely solvable using bluetooth you can actually send the transaction over bluetooth but this mm-hmm. is a problem that cannot be solved with centralized wallets like the, no, the circles no not at all
1: right they so, absolutely so this is this is something that that you're working on now at airbits but it doesn't exist the ability to do this yet
0: the ability to send the transaction over bluetooth directly to a merchant or directly to the recipient isn't capable isn't um implemented yet the main thing is that we're trying to develop a standard by which this is intercompatible with different wallets and point-of-sale companies. Right. And there's no point-of-sale provider like BitPay or even Coinbase is also a merchant processor. They haven't implemented it on their end. So therefore, you know, us implementing it won't make that much use yet. It'll be helpful for person-to-person transactions, but mm-hmm. not necessarily useful for person-to-merchant. But it just gives us an idea of what's possible if right. you go down the right path. If you go down the wrong path, then this is a thing that's not possible. So, you know, people need to be made aware of that. And there's you know, even not even the Coin basis, but there's other wallets that um where you know that implement a user owned funds, user owned private key model, but they still rely on their servers to be able to send your money. And so they can't implement this either. Right? And I think right. it's super important for really driving Bitcoin to the developing nations. And that's where it's going to succeed first. But many people have agreed that from the get go. But, you know, we've implemented the wrong things because we're accustomed to being here in a developed country with good Internet connectivity. And we forget right. about what others need. Let
1: me let me ask you one quick question, and then I'm going to get into a question sure. that has to do with basically why people push towards, you know, a, a, a Bitcoin experience that looks more familiar in terms of using a bank as an intermediary in their servers. But the first question, I've got Conrad here in the chat room, and he mm-hmm. asks, what would you do to fight a government request for information on your users? And I'm going to try to answer him just based on what you're telling me. From what I understand, you don't even have that information to give to the government because, you know, in effect, the third-party doctrine wouldn't apply because you, I'm not sharing information with you. I'm I'm only giving you encrypted stuff, and so you have no ability to decrypt it. Is that right?
0: You got it. Basically, if they want information, we don't stop them. Like, here's access to our servers. Go have at it. And there's nothing there that actually identifies users, and there's nothing there that identifies their transactions, and there's nothing there that gives them access to the funds, most importantly. So, you know, if they subpoena us, we give them a white paper. Right? That's going to be the most useful thing for them, is a white paper that describes their entire data model. And I'm like, boom, there you go. There's the data. So yeah,
1: and and that means you know the, the old old-fashioned way. If they if they want to know what your transactions are, they have to come to you personally with a warrant right. and look at affect your exactly. private ledger book, which is the you know the <clears throat> application as it exists on your phone. Yeah.
0: Right. If they had your login and password, and you know, I you know, I presume that they could use violence to to force you to log into your account, but they can't subpoena one company that would give them a massive amount of data, and you know. Not that I agree with this process, but the you know, governments have a very strong ability to target a person and get information about that person. Mm-hmm. What I think is abused today is the ability to just have a broad sweeping scan of everything that's done. And then to store yes. that. And then yes. to utilize that at a later point in time arbitrarily yes. if should they choose to do so. And that's what they can't do with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, they right. really have to target somebody. There's not this broad sweeping oh, we know every single dollar moved from this person to that person, you know, and we can apply these analytics to determine who we might not like based on all of that. Right. You know, so now really I, what they need is... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, they, you know, that warrant that you were mentioning, that's what they effectively now need is they need that warrant. They have to have um, actual suspicious cause, like a suspicion that th- something is happening, and they can target the person. And then they dig, 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 dig to get that information. But... You know, there's no broad sweeping
1: scanning of end-to-end encrypted data. Right, right. And and if they did take all of the encrypted data, it would just take them in their data center years and years and years to decrypt it and find out anything, right?
0: That is the goal, is that right. we have the highest level of encryption in a mobile wallet in Bitcoin today. And the encryption is so strong, And maybe we've tweaked it a little bit too strong, is that you know it actually takes a little while to log into your phone you notice it spins for like maybe five, six seconds depending on the phone. And what we do is we actually crank up encryption depending on the speed of your phone. And so as you upgrade your phone, you can actually get higher and higher encryption because basically, nice. you know, brute forcing, nice. brute forcing a password is an arms race between how fast you can you can encrypt passwords versus how fast computers evolve to decrypt. And right. because passwords aren't what we call cryptographically sound, meaning that, you know, people don't have enough randomness in their password to make it, you know, uh, cryptographically impossible to crack. What we have to do is we have to make it very expensive for each brute force attempt, meaning make it cost a lot of computing horsepower just to try one password.
1: Yeah. Then
0: if they want to try a second one, then they got to do all that computing horsepower again, and then a third and a fourth. So we crank up the the encryption settings, and we write directly to the CPU to do that encryption so we can do it... um, as fast as possible, and take right. as long as possible, but you know, have the most amount of rounds of encryption, and the quickest amount, in uh, the quickest experience possible. So, once again, as your your phone upgrades, and you log into new phones, and you change if you change your password, it actually re-encrypts your data with a stronger encryption setting. And so, as hardware gets better, so does the the security on your on your Bitcoin wallet. And no one else is doing this that I'm definitely aware of. They just kind of pick a value that's like, oh, it's good enough today. Right.
1: right. Kind of a lowest common denominator, in effect, and and instead this this is better. Now, let me just ask you a a question that comes from, I I watched a Cato presentation on Bitcoin. And I don't know (laughs) if you know, but Cato is very pessimistic about the future of Bitcoin. And, And the thing that Cato said sort of explains why people would want to run towards a more regulated environment, you know, like a Coinbase sort of model for Bitcoin. And the reason is this. Um, there's a guy named Kevin Dowd, he's some scholar or economist, and he predicts that if you had Bitcoin in its truly intended form, which is this distributed trust market, that there are within the market itself kind of um, incentives to consolidate. And the biggest incentive that he cited was that, Um, I I understand that Bitcoin is, is based on the ability of computers to solve certain mathematical problems and that as more and more Bitcoin is generated, that mining Bitcoin requires more and more computer power and electricity such that at the moment, it actually takes more in computer power and electricity than a Bitcoin is worth to do it. Is that correct?
0: takes more in computing power and electricity than a Bitcoin is worth mine. So the thing to about mine it. To mine a new one, it's right? Not, it's not that over time Bitcoin gets harder to mine and therefore requires more energy. The difficulty is based on the amount of people and the amount of horsepower and computing power that's currently in the network. It's actually self-regulating. If, we had, if half of the people or half of the computing resources that are putting the mining exited the system and just decided to stop mining, mm-hmm. it would actually then become easier to mine. Your, uh, the people that are left would have a higher chance and probability of mining a Bitcoin or mining a block of Bitcoins. So it's actually self-regulating to the point where it uh, I haven't done the exact math, but I'm guessing that the net is zero, meaning that if you take all the miners, who's profitable and who's losing money, net mm-hmm. to about zero. Because you know, that's the thing about mining. It is absolutely self-regulating. As more people enter, it gets harder and as more people leave, it gets easier. So it's it it's well, really so, the people so, that are profitable.
1: So then fact, so why. then for instance if um the one entity that this guy cited and he was he was talking about this I think in November of, of two thousand fourteen, so fairly recently. He was talking about G hash, which right, I guess is this Yeah. And and, and G hash centralizing everything such that at a certain point some of the virtues, what they call the value proposition of Bitcoin in terms of distributed trust and other, you know, the ability to, to enforce the rules of Bitcoin and all this stuff, that a lot of this would go away if you have centralization with an organization like GHash. So if that happened, if it happened that, you know, there was like this huge conglomerate G-Hash, and apparently it's mysterious and nobody knows who it is and weird stuff or whatever, but, you know, the idea is that, this is centralized and therefore any government would just go and figure out who GHash is and they could take control over Bitcoin, they could kill the anonymity um, or GHash itself could decide that they're not going to follow the rules and then they would just, you know, declare some more Bitcoin in existence when they weren't supposed to be able to. All these horror stories right. that would come with the, you know, the tendency towards monopolization that they allege exists in the market. Do you buy any of that? You know, if if people said, you know, we reject a government-regulated version of Bitcoin and instead we're just going to let the free market hash it out, do you think that, hash, ha, ha um, that G-hash, you <laughs> know, and would just take over the world, in effect, and destroy the value of Bitcoin?
0: Absolutely not. And there's one big, massive misunderstanding that the media created when the issue with G-hash accumulating a lot of mining power um, that is a misunderstanding that they created. And that misunderstanding is that GS actually owned that mining power. They didn't own that mining power. What they are is they are a mining pool by which many people go in and pool their resources. If you think of Bitcoin, the way people mine is that there is one block of Bitcoin that's awarded to a single Bitcoin address or account every, approximately every 10 minutes. And it's kind of like a lottery system where you go ahead and buy tickets this lottery. But the process of buying tickets is dependent on how fast your computer is. The faster your computer is, the more tickets you can buy and the higher chance you have of winning this lottery. And it literally okay. is a lottery. It's like a random number. However, if you don't have an, a powerful enough computer, you can basically only buy a ticket out of you know potentially trillions of tickets. So your odds of winning this lottery are next to nothing. So what do people do in today's lotteries? They pool together, right? can hey, I'll buy a ticket, you buy a ticket, a hundred of us each buy a ticket, and if we win the lottery, we split it amongst ourselves. So lottery pooling is common, and that's exactly what these mining pools are. They're just pools of other people. Now, the difference is, by having a majority of the tickets, you also get the ability to vote on the network and how the network operates, what are the rules of the network, what is a block, how many Bitcoin are in the system. So G-Hash effectively has, has that capability only for as long as people are using that pool. So we are still decentralizing the fact that people can leave, and people did, because people see the value in keeping Bitcoin decentralized. And so this is very different than if G-Hash actually owned the mining power themselves, like if they owned all of the hardware themselves, then you can't just take that away from them. You would have to then build up additional mining resources. But they, they were very, very far from having that. And I'm sure that G-Hash ran some of their own mining hardware, but a ma- vast majority of it, was other people joining that pool because the bigger the pool is, the more likely it is that you will win one of those lotteries.
1: Right. Now you'll have a right.
0: slice of it. You'll have a smaller mm-hmm. slice of it. But the goal is that um, you have a more regular distribution of of revenue. As opposed to, you know, put some money in and maybe once in two years I might win this lottery. Instead I'm gonna win a fraction of the lottery, but I'm gonna do it every day or every week. So I, is, I I totally understand that a lot better,
1: yeah. That right. so that and that so makes so a lot of sense. But the, but then so then you know the idea is that people will not voluntarily stay with a pool like that if they see that the pool is getting too big and having too much power because they realize that the value of the entire system would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So people people tend to naturally leave this. Um, if you can imagine, exactly. I mean. You know, right now we're blown away by the power of a phone that I'm holding in my hand that is way more powerful than any computer I could have had on my desk in the 1970s, -hmm. right? So could you see, you know, five, ten years down the road, you know, we think Bitcoin requires a lot of computing power, but then it could be that the one person could, you know, control all the Bitcoin because the computer power is so much cheaper and better in five or ten years.
0: But as it gets cheaper and better, more people are using the cheaper and better computing resources, and so we're all competing on a somewhat level playing field. So you okay, think about it so, that way;
1: it's just a matter so the, of the, the, the nature of Bitcoin yeah. is not such that, like you know, somebody could, because they have a super powerful computer, take it all over. As long as there are a lot of participants in the market, the lottery is still going to be the lottery.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's that's the key thing is that there are a lot of individual participants. Even if there's only a few pools, because we can shuffle which pools we join, and really GHash is a competitive advantage. The reason why people use them is because they built a fairly easy interface for people to connect their miner to. You know, mm-hmm. they they made it easy, and people were like, oh, I, I set up my miner and I go to bed and I forget about it and I go to work and I go home and I go to bed and you know, and then occasionally they check the forms. They're like, oh, wait, this mining pool that I'm joined to is getting kind of big. I should switch mining pools and all of that can get automated in the future where the software you run can connect to five different mining pools and it will choose the one that helps distribute the the costs as fairly as possible. So the technology is there for us to actually do it. It's just that, you know, we're kind of in a young stage and people um, mention also the concern, not just of the centralization via the pools, but also these large entities that are getting into very industrialized mining where you have rooms and rooms and rooms full of mining equipment because right. you know economies of scale. They with economies of scale you actually have you know, cheaper resources that can be somewhat centralized. But I do have a theory and I, I don't have it fully baked out yet, but I have a theory that especially with this past year's Bitcoin price taking a significant dive and mm-hmm. the general volatility of the market, that these large institutional mining companies will realize that Becoming an institutional miner is incredibly, incredibly risky. You know, being a Bitcoin right. company can be risky um, because, well, you know, we don't know if Bitcoin will succeed or fail. But on a day-to-day basis, you, an exchange Bitcoin changing doesn't necessarily um, drastically affect the revenue of an exchange because they're more dependent on vol- uh, volume. And if people are still trading a uh, quite a bit of, uh, quite a large amount of Bitcoins, they're still making money. Now, take the, In contrast, a Bitcoin mining company where their revenue is directly based on the price of Bitcoin because they have enough hashing power to generate, say, X number of points per day. Right. But that could plummet, you know, 20, 50% over the course of a month and then increase and come down. And when you have bills to pay, you've got rent to pay, you've got investors down your back, you've got employees to feed, Um, you know, you've got all of those costs, legal accounting now that volatility becomes incredibly dangerous for a mining company whose revenue is directly related to the price. Right. The way Bitcoin started and the way mining started was kind of as a, an individual hobby. In, you know Individual people, maybe with a mining, a mining rig in their garage or a computer that they weren't using, would mine. And they'd get some Bitcoin. And if it was a high value, great. If it was a low value, well, it kind of sucked. But it didn't kind of make or break the, the company because there wasn't a company. It was a hobby. But exactly. if enough people are running this this kind of a hobby, we still have potentially even more security in the network, more hashing power and computing power in the network than a few centralized institutions. Like the collection of all of us, even if we put all our cell phones together mm-hmm. right now, probably be the the current amount of mining power available today. It's just a matter of we just don't do it because the software isn't there and we're you know, we want to do... do... Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I was going to say we want to do other other things with them too so that right. there's other exactly. competing uses. So in terms of this volatility in the Bitcoin market, how do you see that playing out in, in the future? Because now there's competing cryptocurrencies. I guess they're, are they also based on the same type of idea too? You know, How do you predict Bitcoin's going to do in the future? I mean, you, you characterized your company as a wholly you know, Bitcoin-centered company. That's what AirBits is about. It's only about Bitcoin. So how do you see the future of that working out for you?
0: So with respect to volatility, I think if you look at a chart of Bitcoin's price, it looks insanely volatile right now. What people need to look at is almost a an exponential chart, you know, logarithmic chart, to see that volatility when it first started was far more severe than it is today. You know, when it was worth a penny, it would go from half a penny to two pennies, on a daily basis and it was worth dollars we go to one to five to three to one to two to five and you know but every year the volatility goes down and down and down and down and down it's just that it's hard to see that volatility from two years ago because it's in the noise you just see this line that just basically hums and buzzes at the very bottom near zero Hey, whereas now we're at the hundreds and so from a charting point of view you can't see it so my take is volatility will, will continue to decrease over time as more money gets put into Bitcoin, more mm-hmm. interest is put into it, and there's a larger amount of liquidity. And you know, if you look at the market cap of Bitcoin, what, well, it's like $3 billion. And if you look at the volatility of a stock that happens mm-hmm. to have that same market cap, it would probably be on a similar order of volatility. And if you look at, like, the blue chip stocks, the very boring ones, the Microsoft, and, you know, right. at some point, you know, even like the Apples and... You know, the Dell and the big oil company stocks, they're kind of boring and fairly stable. But they have such an, a much higher market cap and there's just so much more money in there for people to, you know, support the price uh, from going up and down. So, you know, the same thing with Bitcoin. As it increases the in market cap and increases in the trading demand, the liquidity will, will will follow and we won't have that same kind of volatility that we have uh, right. today.
1: Well, and and, 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 and people like you making cap. it people like you who are making it more user friendly so that we can get involved. Now what is, what is the ultimate kind of number of bitcoin that can be mined? There's a there's an ultimate limit on that, right?
0: There is. We've currently mined about 13-14 million and 21 million is the maximum, around 21, million, so 21 million and change. And okay. you know, we will mine that on at, at an estimate of around the year 2140. So we're over 100 years away from the, the last bitcoin getting mined. And the thing to remember is twenty one million is an incredibly, incredibly small number of coins.
1: Mm-hmm. In a
0: world of seven, mm-hmm. eight billion people. It's an insanely All small right. number of coins. And people get too fixed on the price. And I you know, I say, Well, how much is a Bitcoin worth? Oh, it's like, you know, two hundred, three hundred dollars and you know, last year I said, Oh, it was nine hundred, eight hundred dollars, like uh, and I'd ask them, Do you think it's worth that? And the first like, Absolutely not. Like, Well, what's your basis? Like, it just sounds like a lot for a coin. But do you know how many there are? And right, like, and, no. and and and
1: how many there oh, will right. be ultimately, and how many people are going to be involved right. in in the market, et cetera. Um, right. So, so Paul, Maybe I've you're... got I've got one last question that I, I definitely sure. want to ask you, and this is one of the ones that I thought about in the first place. How do you at the Airbits make money? Do you charge per transaction, a little tiny fee? How does that work?
0: Right. So right now we're in the build out phase, so we're not revenue positive. Our Goal with a few different revenue creating potentials. The first one is to partner with buy and sell services. So we don't allow Bitcoin to be bought and sold through our platform. We don't want to mm-hmm. deal with fiat money, government money, dollars. But we but there are many companies in the space. We see their value and they do that. So our first goal is to partner with those companies on a global basis, you know, picking up one or two from each country and integrate their buy, sell service into the wallet where the user goes, I want to buy. And like, Great. You're going to be going through this one company here in the U S and right. you know they'll do the AML KYC. you take a picture of their, their credit card and their ID and then buy and sell through that. Um, depending on which country they're in and then that money, the so Bitcoin gets deposited into their Airbus wallet and they can then, then receive it or sell it by sending it back into this buy, sell service, which then drops, Funds in their your credit card account or their their checking account, and then we would take a cut of that because pretty much all services will charge a trading fee, you know, buy sell fee, and us taking a cut of that is where we can make, you know, pretty much instant revenue because that's where the demand is right now is in the the, the buy sell of Bitcoin, and it's the right. biggest question we get when someone downloads the wallet It's like, okay, how do I get Bitcoin? How do I get this into my into my wallet? So mm-hmm. We don't have that yet, but it's been it's definitely in, in the works, and mainly it's the partnerships that are in the works, and we hope by middle to like right, third quarter of, of this year we'll have some of those partnerships in place. And then second, we also have, you know, part of the features of our wallet is a merchant directory where people can find places to spend Bitcoin. And so as Bitcoin becomes more pervasive and merchants want to bubble up to the top of those search listings similar to, you know, search listings on other directories like Yelp, you know, they'll pay for that service, especially web based merchants, which we also feature. And that's you know something that we offer that Yelp doesn't is you know, the ability to search and, and have results of web-based merchants. So those are two great monetization strategies. And then I tell people it's just an incredibly powerful thing to be in the pocket of potentially millions of users. There are 6 six, I can't remember, six or 60 billion um, cashless transactions a year worldwide. Okay. And if you take that and you factor in, you're just getting even a fraction of that number of transactions going through your platform. That's how many times someone is on their phone and opening your app. On, opening your app, opening your app, opening your app, opening your app. And that's definitely a monetizable opportunity. Now our goal is to get to that and just be the wallet that's like, you know, no question to ask. If this is the one that you want to use if you're using Bitcoin. And, you know, that's you know what we're going to iterate on, make see what people think about it, get feedback from the community, and iterate further. We want to make them happy. And if you make the users happy, then the rest will follow.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Well, I will continue to play with it more in the future. I started accepting tips for my show in Bitcoin. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, So hopefully I will have Very more awesome. opportunity to uh, to play with your app and, and see if there's some merchants near me that'll let me use it and everything else. I, I really thank you for sharing your time with us today, Paul. Um, so tell everybody they go get AirBits and they can do it either through a Google App Store, right, or through the iOS app, the Apple app store as well, right?
0: That's absolutely right. So they can go to either the App Store's Google or Apple and just look for Airbits with a z, a r b i t z, and you should find it right there. Just go and download it, create an account, and you've got a Bitcoin wallet. You know, no no email or phone number or address required. It's it's very fairly private and you get true Bitcoin decentralized, you own your money, you own your privacy, all in a fairly familiar app.
1: Excellent. I really like the spirit of this, Paul, and again, thank you very much, and hopefully I will spe- get to speak to you again. Take care. Yeah, we
0: would be happy to be on the show again. Just let us know. Thanks so much.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. So. That was a lot of knowledge that I got to get about. Sorry, so I, I don't know. Did, did I geek out too much, everyone? I'm hoping that I'm going to I, you're gonna listen to it later. You're going to listen to it later. I don't um, like
2: to get in the way of your interviews.
1: I I am hoping that everybody got out of I it. I get in your way, but not the way. I think the way. I got out of it, which is sort of a full picture of how he would answer the main challenges to the viability of Bitcoin. Uh, Conrad here in the chat room says that he thought I did a good job, so that is good. Um, and, yeah, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, Kay McInnes says, if I don't have a third party holding my gold and silver, but I hold it myself, why is Bitcoin more trustworthy? Now, you can hold your gold and silver, but then the problem is trading gold and silver, for example, over the Internet for something. And that is the problem, right? So a lot of people tried to do this with gold. You know, the, I do understand. I don't necessarily think that he gave... You know the the ultimate knockdown drag out argument that nobody could challenge what he said, but I thought he gave a very compelling argument, a very compelling defense of the idea of Bitcoin, and uh, you know, a, kind of a counter argument to Kevin Dowd from from Cato in terms of the the volatility of it. So I do. Rob
2: says he loves it when you know, when you geek out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's excellent. Or I just
2: he spoke. He said we love it. Pretty cool.
1: Excellent
2: he spoke for your for the whole audience. He spoke for everyone.
1: <laughs> well let's see. We yeah, we we still have a, a number of users on. It doesn't look like anybody dropped out during the interview, so I'm I'm glad to see that. Yeah, thanks for thanks for indulging me, everybody. We do have uh, a few more things that we want to talk about.
2: Can I just uh, add something quick? Sure. It's all the track completely.
1: Is it? Okay. Now for something completely different. Yes.
2: Yeah, go uh ahead. we know who's the one candidate that terrifies left more than anyone? the potential candidate, terrifies.
1: Of course, Cruz, yeah. yes.
2: So Bill Maher comes out there and says that uh, Ted Cruz is a real asshole who oozed down from Canada, was the scariest Hispanic to come out of Texas since Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, and is what you'd get if Ayn Rand had half his exchange and moved to Waco. That's a great endorsement. <laughs> it really is. This vile leftist, outside of Islam, he's disgusting.
1: Right, right.
2: That's awesome. That's a great you yeah. know, uh, endorsement. Anyway,
1: that's all. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Now, let's talk more about a little bit more fun, generally good news. All. I've got one privacy story that's a little bit horrific, thanks to Motive Power over at, at Twitter. But let's look first. You talked about Cruz. How about this story from Senator Mike Lee? I have the link to this story over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. You'll want to actually check it out because it is a video, and I can't you know, have video over this on online right now on the on the air but it is senator mike lee facebook shames federal regulations and he has a visual picture of what the number of pages of legislation passed by mm. congress is it's like 3000 and some odd pages mm. or whatever in the last year and then contrast that with the number of pages that were put out there in terms of administrative regulations, pens and phones of Obama and government bureaucrats all throughout the administration and the federal government, how many pages? Now, this thing at Washington Times I find quite annoying. You try to read a story and they have a survey that they want you to answer that I keep skipping, but here it is. In 2014, says Mike Lee, 3,291 pages of new laws were passed by Congress. Now, that's a lot, as it is. But listen to this. During this same period, unelected bureaucrats at dozens of federal departments and agencies issued 79,066 pages of new and updated regulations. So he's got this video, and they show you you know, the number of pages... Equivalent of what was passed by Congress a big stack of paper, and then they show you these three Massive way taller than you stacks of paper that would be Representing and actually are the seventy nine thousand sixty six pages actually seeing those pages It just shows you how horrific it is this you know Legislation without actually but it
2: just shows you how Out of control
1: no exactly exactly Um, Okay, so now I'm trying to get away from the Washington Times
2: about the Texas, website, and it doesn't like me either. Did you hear about that? The um, acceptance of Sharia law into Texas? That,
1: that Texas one law? I actually didn't okay. didn't grab. but It's um,
2: for judges, they call themselves. They're lawyers. They're Muslim lawyers. Judges. And it's voluntary for Muslims to get involved with Sharia law. Oh, really? Yeah. So if a woman wants a divorce, right? Like that?
1: Right. And she can get
2: a divorce, a Muslim woman?
1: Right, and and then and then the question is
2: again, it's infiltrating you know, right these little little incremental ways of that that they're getting in on us, and uh, that has to be stopped.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, you but Bravo, one, one minute of this. Bravo to Mike Lee. Um, yeah, if you if you want, to, I want to then get to a couple yeah, other stories. Okay. Le, less than a minute. Go, go ahead and introduce. We it.
2: mentioned uh, something recently was a song, um, you know, songs against jihad. Let's say. And there was a song, 2005, 2006, by Stuck Mojo called Open Season. And the way I see it, I don't care if a rap or heavy metal. It's a rap heavy metal song. But you have to go forceful. You have to go in your face. You've got to go to war, in other words, with your music and with your art if you want to really respond appropriately against jihad. And there's, there's a small example here. I'll, I'll show you 30 seconds of it. Uh, do you have the thing?
1: Oh, the cord. you got to get the cord hooked up. I didn't realize. Yeah, okay. grab yeah let's grab it.
2: Um, this is just a little taste. It's pretty heavy, but the spirit is perfect. It is perfect against jihad. If you're gonna create music against jihad. And, okay, so uh, we've got
1: we've got it plugged in. We've yeah. got the volume. Go ahead and go. Okay,
2: here it goes. Your people. The people.
1: The yeah, so you get the idea. And that yeah. is called, what again, Open it's Season? It's called Open
2: Season by Stuck Mojo. Mm-hmm. And it's just, to me, it's the post-9-11 uh, song. Uh, it's in your face. It calls them out, calls out the rats, calls out, calls out the fact that they call it peace, and right. wants to mow them down if they come, if they come our way. It's just perfect.
1: So no, and I and I agree. I mean, you know, the other song that we played a couple weeks ago just didn't have the the right music for the subject matter. You
2: need teeth yeah. against this, And this may
1: not be my favorite, and I wouldn't no, spend a lot of time listening to it. I don't care for it, rap but metal, but it actually it's quite it's, for that kind of music. It's, it's good. well
2: done, and also the delivery. Jihad. I mean, it's just it's it's explicit.
1: Exactly. It's good. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, so from your pet topic, which is islam and and jihad to mine which is privacy this is a story given us to by motive power over twitter you're going to leave because i'm talking about privacy (laughs) issues you you probably want to know about this i I want the privacy while you talk about it the dea has been spying on millions of u.s drivers for years and this is part of a plan to build a nationwide tracking database The United States Justice Department is tracking millions of vehicles nationwide as part of a secret intelligence gathering program, the Wall Street Journal has reported. Surveillance program is part of the Drug Enforcement Administration's plan. Now, again, it goes back to invalid laws, right, making drugs illegal and having this huge government bureaucracy centered on prosecuting individuals who use manufacture sell drugs, right? Um, But it's the DEA's plan to build a database plotting the movements of vehicles around the country. The program, which scans and records license plates, has been in place for years. A spokesperson for the Justice Department told the journal that the license plate reader program is, quote, not new, but where it was previously used to combat drug cartels and seize valuables, yeah, it starts with the drugs, they say it is now being used to solve criminal cases like homicide and kidnapping. Okay, that's fine too, but the gathering of the information is what I would have a problem with. Uh, DEA documents obtained by ACLU under the Freedom of Information Act shows that the license plate reader program is dating back to 2008. So keep in mind, the federal government is recording and retaining records of your movements, my movements. Non-criminals. They're just, you know, taking pictures. So if your license plate later comes up in connection with a crime, then they can investigate that database. But this is the whole idea again. Greg, Greg Upfeld cannot object to this program because hey, right. if you're going to find the needle in the haystack, you, you got to have go the, the haystack. haystack. Yeah. haystack. And, and, and so we That's are bad. all part of the haystack. You know, this is interesting. I was I was speaking with um, a, a friend, a, a very knowledgeable contact, the other day about my book, and he was really giving me some very useful feedback on um, a you know a chapter from my forthcoming privacy book. And we're thinking about, you know, just this whole idea of what it is that all of this bulk metadata collection does. All the examples of bulk metadata collection that are out there in all the different realms of government right now, what it does is it fundamentally changes the relationship between the individual and the government. We had always thought of the government as our agents. And increasingly, because of the existence of programs like this,
2: as our bodyguard.
1: we are subjects of study. We are little lab rats, you know, and they are collecting data on us and recording all of our movements. And even if all it is is for proper purposes, which is doubtful these days, right? But even if it's only for nonetheless... There's no longer this idea of a limited government that can get information about us only if it has a warrant and this. Increasingly, we are in the Panopticon. It's just more evidence that we are in the Panopticon. So in that context, it is that I am happy to see two final stories that I want to talk about today, both of these courtesy of Rob Atbaria. So, Rob, thanks for sending them on. One is that there's an Oklahoma Senate Bill 444, and I put a link directly to the PDF of the bill. The first whole chunk of the bill, and it's only a few pages, but the first whole chunk is just defining terms. But in essence, what they're saying is in this bill, if it passes, that at least in Oklahoma, for the government to get your email information, your electronic communication information, for the government to get that, it is going to have, have to have a warrant. Probable cause, particularized suspicion. That is wonderful. Similarly, at the federal level, I have a link to a story that is at the, the – there's a couple senators who want to resurrect a bill that would similarly require a warrant for email uh, searches. And this is from Patrick Leahy, uh, Leahy and Mike Lee. So Mike Lee is one of the people With spearheading this. With elected
2: hack Leahy, but whatever. Yeah, but,
1: well, but I mean this, okay, is, yeah. this is an issue Sometimes on which liberals and, and conservatives, the better liberals and the better conservatives, get together and say we do not as ourselves see us as American citizens living in the Benthamite panopt, you know, simply because we exist. Yeah, we're, we're you know we're not in that Benthamite panopticon simply because we want to live in the United States. That's ridiculous. So go check out those two stories. Uh, there's you know this is legislation again. A permanent solution is going to have to come in the form of a constitutional doctrine, getting rid of the third party doctrine, and we'll you know keep talking about that as long as the cases are making their way to the Supreme Court. But go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to get at least a little bit. Of positive news for the day on the on the privacy front. So thanks everyone. We got to go. We got about 30 seconds. Check out my
2: L M F A O Chris Christie cartoon. That's all.
1: Oh, you have a whole cartoon. <laughs> I do. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. With the
2: acronym and the um, letters. But yeah, up.
1: participate in the discussion over at don'tletitgo.com. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show by your Thank donations, you. and also by sharing the show with your friends. Always appreciate we, it. we really appreciate it. So we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks everyone.